0: Book one of St. Augustine's Confessions begins with Augustine confessing that he's a bit confused about the nature and we might say the location of God. Where can God fit in what can fit into god where could god be and this is particularly pressing given that in the very first chapter we have one of the most famous expressions of augustine and in philosophy in general he tells us that our heart is restless until it rests In you, Lord. And so what does it mean to rest in God? Is this something merely metaphorical? Well, we have to figure out where God can be and what God can be in order to have any possibility of answering this. And If we back up just a little bit in this this very first chapter of book one, he tells God, because he's talking to, to God, Man, this part of your creation wishes to praise you. You arouse the human being to take joy in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And he says, Lord, grant me to know and to understand which is first to call upon you or to praise you and also which is first to know you or to call upon you you know there's sort of an ordering question going on there calling upon knowing understanding and augustine is going to attempt to try to understand and part of this is figuring out is god in me do I rest in God? How does God get inside of the thing that I am? And he's going to mix these all up together in the next several chapters. But I think we can do well by parsing them out and looking at them One at a time, different ways in which we might know or understand God and know or understand where God is. So we can think first about God and the created universe. So the totality of what is. And Augustine brings up heaven and earth. First, he talks about that. And then he talks about hell. So he says, how can God come into me, God who made heaven and earth, right? So this is much greater. Lord, my God, is there anything in me that can contain you? In truth, can heaven and earth, which you have made and which you have made me, can those actually contain you? Or because without you, whatever is would not be. Does it hold that whatever exists contains you? So, you know, we've got a couple different things going on. We've got this notion of God filling heaven and earth and indeed everything that is right implore is the latin infinitive for that there's actually a line where god says implore i fill heaven and earth. And then the question is, do these things contain or grasp? If we want to take an even more literal translation of the Capere here, do those things contain God because God fills them? And this is a genuine question that Augustine is considering here, something that we do need to keep in mind. He goes on and he says... Do heaven and hell contain you since you fill them or do you fill them? And does there yet remain something further since they do not contain you? And part of what's going on here is Augustine is working through some commonsensical but mistaken understandings of what's actually going on here. Can God be parceled out? so that we'd have the part of God that's in heaven and earth, and then a surplus? Or because of the thing that God is, the kind of thing that God is, not a thing, actually, is this a mistaken way of looking at things? And he goes on a little bit further and says, where do you diffuse what remains of you after heaven and hell have been filled? Or do you who contain all things? Now, notice that. This is a reversal of perspective. It's not that first you've got heaven and earth and then God fills them up after maybe God makes them or something like that. God is greater than heaven, earth, hell, all these things put together, and God contains them rather than them truly containing God. And he says, "You fill all the things you fill by containing them. The vessels that are filled by you do not restrict you. Even if they're shattered, you are not poured forth." right? You fill all things and you fill them with your entire self. But since all things cannot contain you in your entirety, do they then contain a part of you, a bit of God? Like God's a bit over here and a bit over here and a bit over here. Some God's up in heaven. Some God is in earth. Some God's down in hell and in all the different things that are in those. And he says, no, that's not going to work Do all things simultaneously contain the same part? Do single things contain single parts? Greater things containing greater parts? Smaller things containing smaller parts? And he's bringing this up because this is a wrong-headed point of view, but he's not actually going to come straight out and say that. So God can't really be parceled out as if you could have, well, three-quarters of God existing here, and then the other quarter over there. In chapter 4, he turns to talking about what we can say about God— We talk about these as the divine attributes in part, but he says a lot more than just the traditional divine attributes. And maybe this is a way of thinking about where God is. God is in these attributes. He says, what then is God? What I ask unless the Lord God who is Lord, but the Lord who is God, but our God. Now that's kind of vacuous. That doesn't tell you an awful lot. And so he launches into a whole bunch of mosts, most high, most good, most mighty, most almighty, most merciful, most just, most hidden, most present, most beautiful, most strong, stable and incomprehensible, unchangeable, yet changing all things. Now notice that we are getting some what appear to be opposites here, some paradoxes, most just and yet most merciful. Beautiful. Uh, Do these actually go together? This is, you know, something that people had to think about quite a bit. And a lot of that continued on after Augustine. Unchangeable, yet changing all things. Never new, never old, yet renewing all things. Most hidden, most present. There's a lot of paradoxicality to this. I'm not going to go into every single epithet that he has here, but we should think about some of these. There's a long segment where he talks about all the different things that God is doing with the created beings he says gathering in yet needing nothing supporting fulfilling and protecting things creating nourishing and perfecting them searching them out although nothing is lacking in God there's no other thing motivating God to do all these great things it's just what God does here we get to the really paradoxical ones. You love, but are not inflamed with passion. You are jealous, yet free from care. You repent, but do not sorrow. You grow angry, but remain tranquil. You change your works, but do not change your plan. You take back what you find, though you never lost it. You are never in want, but you rejoice in gain. You are never covetous, yet you exact usury. And, and we could go on. And he says, what if we said, my God, my holy delight, what does any ma- person say when they speak of you, right? we try to grasp god in all of these things that we can say about god these ways we can conceptualize understand god is that where god is now we get to talking about the human being himself and we have a, a real quandary here how can god enter into a human being he says when i call upon god i call him into myself what place is there in me where god can come. I mean, I'm a finite creature. I'm a little thing. I'm not heaven and earth. I'm just one tiny little thing in earth right now. Maybe I'll be in heaven. Maybe I'll be in hell, you know, later on. How is God going to come inside of me? And he says, this is a real problem because I would not even exist. I wouldn't be unless God was in me. And then we see again this reversal. Or rather, I would not be unless I was in God. Unless I was in you, from whom, by whom, and in whom are all things. And he says, to what place do I call you since I'm in you? This is a very interesting way to think about it, right? If God is in everything and God contains everything and I'm one of those things in that everything, how am I going to get God in me? (laughs) Is God already in me in a trivial way? Well, that's not particularly helpful. What do I need to do? And here we see something that is going to be characteristic of Augustine's thought in general and you could say Christian thought in general. He says, who will give me help so that I can rest in you? Who will help me so that you will come into my heart and inebriate it to the end that I may forget my evils and embrace you, my one good. How can I get God inside of me, the part of me that matters the most? How is this going to work? He identifies a problem. Too narrow is the house of my soul for you to enter into it. So that could be the end of the discussion, right? Ah, Too narrow, no God in here. Well, what do you do then? So he calls upon God to help him out. Let it be enlarged by you. If my soul is too narrow, open it up. Help me out here and give me what I'm lacking. My soul lies in ruins. Build it up again. Make it something that can actually take in God. He says, I confess and I know that my soul or my heart contains things that offends God's eyes. Who will cleanse it? Or upon what other than you shall I call? From my secret sins, cleanse me, O Lord, and from those of others, spare your servant. So he's saying, All right, I can't by my own capacities, my own talents, or even other people that I call upon, help myself out in this respect and get God in me. God's got to do the work. God has to enlarge my soul. God has to. Build it back up from ruins. God has to cleanse it so that it's a suitable place. You could say a suitable resting place for God so that Augustine himself can rest in God. So all of these, you know, sort of seemingly metaphysical speculations about, well, where's God? They have a very important Purpose, And this is why, perhaps, Augustine begins the confessions with asking these questions without completely answering them at that point in the work. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.